to the VIP Show Podcast. This is Jose Aristimuño, bringing you the biggest names in the game of business, entrepreneurship, and life to help you level up, get inspired, and become the most successful you. You already know the VIP Show. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the VIP Show. I'm your host, Jose Aristimuño. Uh, we got a little bit over 100 days left. You know, we're, we're getting ready to move into into Q4, and I always tell people, whether it's American football or it's soccer, um, the last quarter or the second half in soccer is the most important. And this is the time that you got to get your stuff together if you want to have a, have a successful 2024. And the amazing human being that I have on the show today uh, helps us do a lot of that. Um, she's a author, a very successful one. She's a broadcaster, communicator. She's worked with some of the biggest uh, media companies, Virgin Radio, HBO, Asia, CNBC. Um, originally from Singapore, uh, this woman is really what you call a global citizen, having started in Switzerland uh, and being raised in Australia and now back in Singapore. My great friend, Simone Hen, is on the show. Simone, welcome to the show. Hi, Jose. Thank you for having me all the way from the other side of the world. <laughs> that is exactly right. That is exactly right. The pleasure is so is so mine, my friend. Um, before we talk about the book, let's talk about loneliness. Uh, before we talk about all the beautiful things that you've done in the broadcasting world, communications world, we come with very we come from similar backgrounds, uh, professional backgrounds as it comes with communications. But before we talk about all of that. I'm really interested to know who was Simone Heng, the little girl? Who was Simone Heng, the, you know, growing up way back then? Yeah, so I think it happened in two phases. If we look at really young adolescents, like age around six, mm-hmm. I think I was extremely confident. Like the moment I got out of the womb, I could speak. Always very much a performer, always very comfortable having attention on me. And then if we look later into adolescence, puberty, that kind of time, I became quite self-conscious, became very self-conscious about my ethnicity. I grew up in a very white area of Australia and became very conscious of the fact that I, um, you know, was the daughter, was an immigrant, immigrated Mm -hmm. to Australia when I was three, became very conscious of the fact that I was, I didn't really feel I belonged because I was very nerdy and got really good marks but at the same time Mm. I had this cheeky kind of wild side as well and so I never felt I really belonged and I think that in addition to some of the childhood childhood trauma little t trauma I talk about in the book meant that a search for belonging and human connection uh, and loneliness started to form as the kind of the thread of my life story so that that's the two phases I love it I love it and thank you for explaining that uh so well, you know, and I think it's so interesting to me because there, there seems to be a pattern. Um, and I don't want to generalize, but I, I do think a lot of folks, um, when they were little, um, if you have a strong personality and you have a wild side to you, you have very much confidence between those zero to maybe eight to 10 years old. But once the adolescence and the teenage years sort of crawled in, you start getting those self-conscious insecurities. People start judging you. Maybe some people uh, experience bullying in, in school and so forth. But if you're able to come success, you know, if you're able to you, you come out on the other side, as they say, 
you're able to just become that vibrant, vibrant person that you really that really are. And I think that happened to you. And it really happens to a lot of people that I would even say that listen to the show, young entrepreneurs um, from all across the world who they understand they have a gift. Uh, to give to the world. They understand that they're here on a mission. Um, they understand that they're here to deliver a message uh, to the world. And maybe you and I as communicators understand that even as a professional level, but a lot of people maybe who might be in other industries, they know they have a gift um, to give to the world. Before we talk about the book and the success of the book, has had um, that you release or you wrote, you rather during the pandemic. The, the pandemic changed a lot of people. Um, and I would say I'm optimistic. I'm an optimist. So I think maybe a majority of folks are putting aside, obviously, the tragedy of losing people and death. That's something that we all have to sort of face. Um, but aside from that, I think there's it, it, it brought alive a creativity part of many humans. Uh, it allowed for people who maybe never knew that they could write to write. Maybe many people that uh, maybe didn't know they could paint to paint and, and many other things. So for you, did it, did it bring out the writing in you that it sort of motivate you to write this book? Um, I think everything that happens in life, whatever trauma or inconvenience we go through discomfort is like misdirection. Mm-hmm. So I think what was a blessing in this was the as a speaker, the stages that were available to me, and I had only just started my professional speaking career, they were only virtual. And if you're like you or I, Jose, it's all about the in-person human connection. I really don't get the same buzz speaking on camera mm-hmm. as I do in person because I've spoken on camera and on radio my whole professional life. So really it didn't feel novel or special to me the way an in-person speech did. So as all humans, we want that dopamine. Where was I going to go to get that dopamine rocket that we're all chasing in the year 2023? And I guess I kind of went to the page. It was revisiting something that I I did as a child. Mm -hmm. Uh, My parents were very, very stereotypically strict Singaporean immigrant parents in Australia, very fearful, very risk averse. So Mm -hmm. I was often not allowed to go on camps or sleepovers or things like this. So what you would do is you would create, as a child, you were bored, you would create a very complex world within your mind. And I would Mm -hmm. journal a lot and I would write a lot, even as a kid. And then when I went into the media entertainment industry, I kind of forgot about it. So writing for me emotionally was like returning to that child state. You can imagine how in a stressful time where everyone's in fight or flight like COVID, Mm -hmm. how comforting that could be to return to a place you felt safe. Mm -hmm. Writing for me became a place where I um, felt safe because it triggered. So was it relaxing? Was it healing? Uh, it's actually very triggering. <laughs> it's healing now that the story is out and sure. it's helping others. Sure. You know, for me, I heal by being of service. It's very cathartic as well, writing it. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it brought up memories that I had kind of shelved mm-hmm. to be around my dad's mm-hmm. death and things like that. And now I'm writing the second book and it's it's fan- fascinating how the brain works. I think creative entrepreneurs who are listening, you'll so relate with this. But I... I'm writing now for the period of my life from the 2000s when I first moved to Asia as a professional. So I'm in my early Mm -hmm. 20s Mm -hmm. and you're in media. This is pre-Me Too. So you can just imagine, Jose, you were around during this time. You can just imagine. You don't have to imagine. 
the stories, right? Totally. And so I'm writing from that period and then mm-hmm. I went to take a nap. And I actually, during that nap, dream of another story from that period that's not even meant to go in the book. Wow. And it brings, so it is bringing up from your subconscious things that you have mm-hmm. buried. Yeah. So when I say it's relaxing, I think it's manageable, but no, it's not writing a book. You wouldn't go, yeah, you don't, you wouldn't go as far yeah. to say it was, it was relaxing, but it was almost like therapeutic. It was almost like a, like, a, like a therapy. Absolutely. And if you're at a place where you were, the source, God, the universe has given you enough resilience that he, she, that being knows you can handle it, then mm-hmm. it's okay. It's not yeah. a place to go if the if the healing isn't partially done because when people do that, a lot of time their books come out very angry. That mm-hmm. It's not processed yet. So I have the kind of rule that I only tell stories in the books and on the stages that are processed because otherwise I'm betraying my audience. I'm using them as my therapy and that's, that's not right. I'm there to serve. Mm-hmm. So that's no, the it, nuance of crafting content, right? Very cool. No, no, hundred percent. And I, I think it's, I think it's so interesting because there's a balance, right? Um, let me ask you without maybe giving away too much of the book of the people that haven't read it yet. Was there a certain part that was the hardest for you to, to write and put on the pages? Yeah. The, I mean, the relationship with my mother is very, very difficult and culturally as Asians, you know, we don't talk about what happens. What are Latinos like, Jose? Are, are you guys more open? You're more open, right? Yeah. 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 Well, it's interesting. We're, we're very open and, and very loud. I'm being, you know, I'm, I'm generalizing here, but I would say probably most Latinos are, are very loud and lively, uh, very family oriented, right? I mean, the family is, is everything and everything centered by the family. I think, you know, my generation, millennials and the, and the generations before me, um, you know, and I would say maybe similar to, to some Asian cultures, not all, but respect your elders, you know, you know, your mom or your father are always right, even though that, you know, they might, you know, they're very, they might be very old school, right? So maybe, maybe the parents and their grandkids are going to be very different because obviously the parents expect things to be done a certain way and, and things are obviously changed, right? Life is sort of the world is the one thing that's ever changing and, and always constantly evolving, right? So, but, so I would say, you know, very family oriented, very lively, very loud, um, but also obedient in a way where where I think people have to be careful. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you share this, this sentiment with me, but I think people have to be careful. You can be obedient and be respectful, for, but there are times that if you want to shine, you got to kind of just fly and, and go your own way. Right. As long as you're not hurting yeah. anybody in the way, of course. I think it's interesting for late millennials because I feel we are the last generation where what our parents said was gold because we didn't have the internet to contradict them. So I really resonate with that. Whereas, you know, my mother would used to just say things like it's right because I say so. Whereas now you can't really, you can't Google it. Like I'm 39 years old. Like I had an Mm -hmm. analog childhood. I couldn't contradict her. So we were really, and I see that difference now in the, the generation Gen Z, for example. So in our culture, very similarly, huge reverence to our parents. Yeah, and yeah. it was very challenging for me to write some of the stories of my childhood with the love I have in my heart for my mother and, mm. and my father who's passed away. And and there was feelings of like, oh, my goodness, can I write this? Because we don't even... How would, you, how would your mother feel you exactly. putting this out there, you know, that 
You don't even speak it, let alone write it in print, okay? It's just not done. And But there are a few other, uh, there's eight, some Asian-American authors who have also similarly written about their childhoods like me. So there seems to be now a, a momentum. And only someone like me, my mum, I love her. She's she's not cognitive uh, anymore. She's in a wheelchair. My father's passed away. I realised, like, only I could be the conduit to talk about this sort of disconnecting childhood because I couldn't hurt my parents in this process. My mum has no idea that there's a book. She's not cognizant that way. And there's complete love and forgiveness with us. But it was hard to mm. get over that, knowing how much it would serve others and heal others, but the personal sacrifice that I would have to take in order to do that. That was very difficult as someone who deeply loves and respects her parents. So that was the hardest part. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, and thank you for being so, so, so honest. And you know, my condolences to you, obviously, for for your uh, father passing away. I'm sure your father is very, very proud of you. Uh, you know, watching watching you from above and everything you've been able to to accomplish. Um, so you know, you 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 self published the book. Um, then Hay House, which is obviously a very successful publishing worldwide, right? I believe Hay House UK is the editorial that decided to sign you, right? Um, so you republish the book, you self-publish it, you republish the same book, obviously under a new title. Um, what did that feel like? Did you think when you were writing this book during the pandemic that this was actually going to happen? Uh, talk to me about that, some of that process. Yeah, and I think this will be so inspirational for people who are entrepreneurs or, or aspiring thought leaders who are listening. I want you to understand that there's a million ways to make your publishing dream happen or whatever dream that is. I think most people when I started the publishing journey were like, well, if you self, self-publish, self no one's ever going to see it. Or if you um, don't have an agent, no one will ever, you know, there's a lot of rhetoric. And a lot of times people who are telling you these things are doing it sometimes to Debbie down your dreams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's yeah, the yeah. truth. Yeah, like they, for sure. You know, I'm with you. I'm sure people like Jose, you want to go work for Obama? You know, like do you, it's, and so I want my story that I'm going to tell you next to help you hold that little flame that there's okay. an exception to every rule. If I look at my life of never living in all these countries and never feeling like I quite fully belonged, I became all the time the exception to the rule. I was the Asian girl on air in Dubai, you know, like yeah. the random things that happened should you allow yourself to perceive that it can happen for you. So I um, self-published within Southeast Asia and the book did very well here. The buyers at the big bookstore here loved it. They they convinced me to have like a big stand for it, which I had to pay for, okay? When you self-publish, you pay for everything. You pay totally. for every box. You ship to every influencer with a candle inside and whatever the things you're going to give. Like it's an expensive process. You pay for your own PR, press coverage and everything. Mm-hmm. But the book became a, a national bestseller here, you know. So as a self-publish? As a self-publish? As a self-published. Interesting. And okay. Yeah, yeah. And um, and so then I was like, well, interesting. I never want to see it again. I'm sick of seeing it because you're you when you're self-publishing, you're doing everything. And I let it rest for a while, you know, it, it, you just okay. let things gestate. And then the pandemic, the, the borders opened. I went to Australia to visit my mum and I met up for the first time with a girl that I made friends with via Instagram during the pandemic. As many of us did, we made friends mm-hmm. online. Sure. Met in person. She's a HarperCollins Australia um, author. 
And she'd read it. She just looked at me over lunch. She said, the journey of this book is not done yet. Like wow. the work this book is meant to do in the world is not done yet. So I think you should approach a traditional publisher. And so I knew a couple of contacts. One of them said, we don't republish something that's already been seen in the world. Uh-huh. The other that, that was said, my question. That was going to be honest. Like, and, and I'll let you continue in just a second. But that was my question. When you say all this, I'm like, well, I didn't know that a traditional publisher could publish a book that's already been self-published. I, I didn't know. I, apparently, there's an exception to the rule, and there we go. But continue. Ab- absolutely. And I would caveat that exception by, like anything in life, the quality of the writing and the content is what um, changes everything. It's like, do you remember in the 2000s, Jose, where Shakira would release an album with one cover, and then they would re-release it in Europe with a different cover, yeah, yeah, and different sure. marketing? And I want everyone to just think of it like it's like a Jennifer Lopez remix, like just with uh, Ja Rule. That's exactly yeah, I love what it. we did. We added three wow, new chapters. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Rule, you, you go way back. <laughs> I am 39 years. Don't let my Asian genes fool you when y'all all go to my Instagram. I'm, I'm almost 40. Um, you look so, amazing. You look amazing. Thank you. I'll tell my doctor, Jose. I will let him know. <laughs> good, good, good. So, the, so I then approached another publisher and they were a business publisher. They're like, yeah, we really like it, but we just want you to write another one. And so, again, I let it rest. And then one day, the same friend says to me on Zoom, she goes, hey, house, if you want to just learn about traditional publishing, because obviously all these doors are being closed to you from these traditional publishers, you want to learn about it. You know, every year they do a writer's workshop and in the pandemic it was online and you can just go to the writers, you know, attend and they teach you the ins and outs of how to agent and get this book to the next level. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, I love learning. And I was so sick of my own book that I was like, I can't shut up and be a student, right? (laughs) Go online. I look for the writer's workshop and this time it's in person after the pandemic in Edinburgh. And that's the Mm -hmm. only way you can go. And one person from this workshop every year gets a book deal. So I was like, oh, it's in Edinburgh. I've always want to go. I spent $8,000, Jose, to go to Edinburgh. And so I take three copies of the book. Uh Uh-huh. One of them I give to the CEO, Reed Tracy. The other one I give to my best friend who's from New Jersey. She's Colombian-American. She, okay. now my best friend, gave her a copy. And the third copy I gave to the commissioning editor who was up the back of the room. It's this tiny blonde British lady, the same height as me. So she's five one. She's not intimidating. She mm-hmm. took it. And I'm sitting in day two of the course the next day, and I opened my LinkedIn at 11 a.m., and she's written to me and said, Simone, I read your book overnight. And we'd be really interested um, in taking this further. You'll be getting an email me from the office on Tuesday. And within four wow. weeks, I had a two-book deal. Oh, yeah. my goodness. That is Crazy. amazing. And they, uh, it is how they have pushed it. It's on, like, front tables of Barnes & Nobles in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. It's on the big shelves, WH Smith in the, in the UK. Like, they have just been – they are so awesome. I, as a publisher, the human connection. Hey House is a family. It's It's really – very different to the way other publishers operate and and but that story is the exception to the rule i didn't i wasn't the woman that won the publishing deal that happens at that workshop i got sure. a totally separate thing so i just want to say to anyone listening don't let anyone debbie down you because yeah you, and, and take and take know. action like you said you went out there you spent the eight thousand dollars which is a lot of money and you ah. took a risk right they, there was no reassurances that this was going to happen but if you don't let if you don't go there and put yourself in those situations, maybe 
Well, you obviously we're not guaranteeing that. Look, if you spend eight thousand dollars, you're gonna go get the deal. But you go to these places, you put yourself, and maybe one person there will connect you to another person, to another person mm-hmm. that will actually get you to the place that you need to be. Obviously, in Simone's case, happened beautifully, and just everything flowed. Um, I, I gotta ask you this question. I'm sure people are, are uh, thinking about the same thing, and but I'm the host, so I can I get to ask the tough questions as like they say. You don't have to give me a a specific answer, but I'm, I've always been curious, especially with traditional stuff, because traditional publishing, obviously they have the marketing budgets, right? Millions of dollars to put the book anywhere and everywhere if they choose to do so. So number one, they have the bigger budget on the self-publishing side. You probably get a bigger buck. Like, if, you know, for every book sale, you can probably take 70%, 80% or whatever the case may be, but you got to put the money to do the marketing. And the reason why maybe people can, I always tell people and, and, you know, this this is a, a general statement, but I think it's 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 carefully crafted, and it goes like this: It's not the best product that it's not the best product or service that wins. It's the best known product or service that wins. So you don't have to, it's not enough for you to be the best. You have to be the best, but you have to be the best known. So when you go the traditional route, it allows you to be seen by by more eyes and be read. So my question is: On a traditional publishing side, usually, what's the percentage? of profits for an author. I'm sure it depends in many, many things, but just give me a ballpark estimate. Yeah, I think it's about like um, uh, a dollar or a pound. I think it's a pound per book, which is about $3 per book. Per book, okay. So whatever that is of the cost, say a book is like $20, $25. But to be honest, with the money I spent on the marketing for the self-publish, because Uh they wanted that book stand, I end up like uh-huh. breaking even anyway because the cost of that stand. However, I will say this, and I learned this a lot from living in Dubai. Dubai is a marketing city, and uh-huh. I became the person that I marketed really well, but I wasn't uh-huh. actually that great on air as a radio host. And so I learned a really important message is you can draw a horse to water with great marketing, uh-huh. but if the product isn't outstanding or excellent, you're never going to get the the further so if I had done all that work for the self-published book in Singapore which a lot of authors uh-huh. do uh-huh. spend that money but the book itself was not good well written executed well it would never have gone now to be picked up by a traditional publisher totally, so totally. 100%, 100%. that yeah no you have to be the best of the best and 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 it's a tough business because just like the music business and entertaining business once you put something out there, you know, it, it, it's kind of, you know, p- people are going to either tear it apart or, or praise it or whatever. So it, it's just a very, it's, it's very tough. So I, w- I always think of J.K. Rollins, the the author of Harry Potter, and she had to go through like 12 publishing houses. She got denied, denied, denied. She kept going, kept going, kept going. And, and look at the freaking powerhouse, right, that that she is now. Yeah. So uh, I'm with I'm with you. Don't, if you're listening to the VIP show, you're hanging out with Jose Estimonio, with Simone Han right here on the show. Do not let Debbie Towners, you know, get the best of you. Keep going. Keep going. Uh, don't give up. Um, I, I got to talk to you before I let you go about uh, the human connection. Uh, you are a master at this. You've studied this. Talk to me about this. Talk to me about the human connection. Why is it, why is it so important? So it is absolutely what we are here to do on the planet. We are wired for connection. If we If we look at the end of our lives, right, um, all we have is the legacy of how we treated people while we were here and the offspring we might create. So what mm-hmm. what is that? That's both of that is human connection. And human connection, well, loneliness is currently reducing our lifespan and, and killing us, really. 
and there's a loneliness epidemic globally. This is to do with the fact when we evolved as early humans and tribes, um, our brain became wired to seek safety in numbers. If we were not with our tribe, we would die very, very easily. So if for us, there is a literal fight or flight response when we're lonely. We get bombarded with stress hormones. And when you have these in your body chronically over a long period of time, they diminish your immunity and they lead to cardiovascular illness and other life-shortening diseases. So this is not just a mental health conversation. This is also a physical health conversation. So a lack of human connection is leading to issues with our survival as a species. And with the rise of AI, um, mm-hmm. what is going to be the differentiator for individuals, even for the journey they have on the planet in terms of their employment, in terms of their opportunities, is going to be having those very good people skills. So everything that you do, the work that you do, Jose, it, it's mm-hmm. all coming back to this. If you don't have people skills, the future will be more difficult. You'll be in less demand. You'll be more yep. disposable mm-hmm. workforce. So for all this myriad of things, everywhere I look, you know, someone who's passionate about this and works in this, it's coming up again and again and again. Yeah. No, no, it's it's important. And and, and I'm with you. And even the whole AI issue, uh, people now more than ever have to take their communication uh, skills and their interpersonal skills very, very uh, seriously. I I can't let you go without asking about the second book. Uh, Share with some of my listeners. Uh, what is this? Tell me when is this coming out? Uh, can you share with me a little bit of the topic? Tell me something, Simone. Okay, Come you're on. The first to get any of this? I haven't even announced this on uh, on Instagram. So we have a publication date of the 17th of September of next year. It uh-huh. is all about self connection. So what, it, I want you to imagine it's the prequel, like Star Wars. It's the prequel to Let's Talk About Loneliness because. What I realized again and again in the research is if you um, have no self-awareness, you cannot connect well with others. This is like when we mm-hmm. are trying to make friends and we don't know ourselves or we are not checking in with ourselves. So we're in a bad mood. Yeah. We're coming across awfully people that, you know, it, it's absolutely vital. So it's actually the book is about the journey to connect with yourself and I think it's powerful, but I'm really nervous. I'm kind of first draft is finished and I'm getting editor feedback on Monday. Um, and I'm really excited about this one because I think the two of the two books will marry each other very nicely. I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm excited. September of 2024, you're listening to the VIP show. Uh, an amazing author uh, on human being all together, Simone Han. She's the author of Let's Talk About Loneliness. If you have not gotten the book, Go get it. She just said it. It's on Barnes and Nobles. I'm sure it's on Amazon and every single sort of bookstore out um, in in the country and in the world. Where can people find you, Simone, if they want to connect with you, interact with you? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm super active on Instagram at Simone Heng and also on LinkedIn, Simone Heng Speaker. But if you would like to get in connection with me one-on-one, the best way to do that is drop an email through simoneheng.com because the DMs do get quite crazy on social media and they do give me a little bit of heart palpitations so email is much better it's in there i won't forget about you and i i deal with it as i deal with my daily emails so through simonehang.com is the happiest place for me thank you so much simone hen everybody we appreciate you thank you so much for coming on the show thank you so much my dear thank you 